0: this episode is sponsored by anchor.fm if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast so let me explain basically it's free secondly there's creation tools that allow you to record and also edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer And after which, Anchor will automatically distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with literally no minimum listenership. So it's everything you basically need in a podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started today. Abraham. (laughs) Hello
1: Sandra. How's it going? It's going quite well. We're in the the midst of Tel Aviv right now, quite literally. Yeah,
0: how have you been?
1: I've been well. I've I've taken numerous amount of walks today along the city. Mm -hmm. It's been enjoyable.
0: Any new philosophical explorations?
1: Well, something that I keep in mind, as much as possible is how can I get the most aesthetically pleasing encounter with my environment every time that I take a walk. And so I, I keep in mind how you think of, of your surroundings at a purely intuitive, effective level in which you know, you, you, you're somehow capable of superimposing the image out of something on top of the supposed perception.
0: So, um, so just like staring at people and I mean, smoking ciggies. People, people
1: is, is definitely part of it, um, and uh, drinking coffee uh, while doing so is, is amazing as well. But paying attention to uh, trees, for example, mm-hmm. is just you know is is an art, really. Like you you have to train yourself to to just enjoy it entirely
0: talking about just fucking staring at people, how often do you think people project in a psychoanalytical sense onto people? In just like their day-to-day interaction?
1: Yeah, it depends how much you're fully despiritualizing the object in the sense that you're you're literally like a, a point zero of projection be, that being what you do to the person in front of you like you know that will be the, the first level of interacting with uh, a person that you void of substance and so it, it becomes this sort of ethereal uh, intention uh, in your gazing to, of the person as an object and mm-hmm. so if you do that you're sort of safe i think from uh a regular projection just because uh you know the person becomes object the person becomes a sort of uh, pure other
0: yeah we were having like this discussion on Clubhouse today about um should we be empathetic towards robots right <clears throat> No. and i'm just like listen we don't even have that kind of ai that has any sort of sentience that you have to even have any sort of moral you know just like any kind of motivation to be moral so towards this mm-hmm. hypothetical conscious mechanist entity it's like not possible like that's bullshit you know like
1: it just it just it matters so little
0: like and i was like let's be hardcore physicalists and materialists and say that they're just objects you know, like, We're yeah, yeah, there's... Or there... humanists only. Like, true, true, it, it, true, but...
1: It's clear that there are three values. It's anthropocentrism, which might be in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then there's technocentrism and... Uh, ethno- or ecocentric. Um, so, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, Freudian slip. But, uh, yeah, so what if ecocentrism as just embracing pure chaos and everything being better, just leaving humans to a side and allowing nature to develop itself. Or should it be a more technocentric approach in which we fully explode our human capacities and transcend the human entirely and, you know, have no detection of it and this leads to more of a instead of like metaphysical chaos and epistemological chaos really, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. And uh, and then there's the anthropocentric side which I, I think... It's more like the political center, which can have varying degrees of styles and oscillations between each radical edge.
0: Yeah, like, the object can have its own imaging consciousness, but it's an object without sentience, you know? Like, that's the whole objectification of the entire thing, like... Yeah, but that wouldn't mean... and, And we don't have to be empathetic towards these unsentient, insentient, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, you know, yeah, but it ha- entities. But
1: what is the equivalent then from consciousness? If these objects can have a species of self-consciousness because they are being.
0: Yeah, but they're non-existent in reality at this point. So why even be, no the question, question being, should we be empathetic towards robots? And the AI that we have is not
1: question is if they're beings, not whether we can be empathetic, because we just suppose, if, I mean, in, in potency, we could them. the question is if we ought to be empathetic to them, recognizing that they're maybe not beings, meaning that they are not, right?
0: Um, yeah, but it's like going back to the whole HAL 9000 space odyssey death scene, right? like wait when them. you or do you have to watch i mean that's one scene that i highly recommend people watching whoever you know has these crazy discussions on clubhouse about ai like a must-watch scene is the dead scene and uh what basically happens is like this guy is unplugging this in hal 9000 and this mechanical entity is basically you know going on this very empathetic rant about how he should go on and how he should probably not unplug him, but he's unplugging him. And this kind of like gives us a sense that even when these mechanical entities don't seem to have a very solid sentience, they still have this capacity to project some sort of, or have some sort of affective behavior. Or be able to you know recognize the weird emotions and and somehow replicate it. It's just so weird. But yeah, that's the whole hell nine thousand scene, and it's just like so weird. I don't, I don't like yeah. Maybe then at at that point, should we be empathetic? I don't know. They don't. They don't essentially have any sort of existence or any sort of sentience to them, but it's just a question you know i don't know i mean
1: let's think about it imagistically imagine bludgeoning uh, an, an ai that you've interacted with daily as your house servant for a couple of years mm-hmm. and imagine bludgeoning that robot to death and hearing how the, the robot screams because it's programmed to be as human as possible what do you feel empathy or not
0: But that's just like the whole argument about virtual reality, right? Like if if I'm able to somehow simulate reality to a point of perfection, where I'm able to embody the experience itself without experiencing the experience itself, then that's kind of like... Yeah, no, but it's still not sentient. I know, but you in, know?
1: in that case, you're not moving your body or existing as a as a being. Contextualized, it is a sort of same argument, but it's not contextualized into others because what what we're determining here is if it's very Levinasian, actually. Are do it's the question is if robots have a face, <laughs> you know, in a Levinasian, um way of understanding it. I don't do know. Somehow, I do feel they, like do the they deserve your ethic.
0: Yeah, but that's the empirical question, right? Like, if if I was to look at it rationally, then it's kind of like, if, yeah, I know that this thing doesn't have any sort of existence or any sort of sen- a sentience to it, then why should I be empathetic towards it? If I possess that knowledge, yeah, then I so don't have to... Just existence, just having a soul, having a mind, you know? that's what we're trying to do right like if you're trying to give mechanical intelligence human consciousness then it's replicating human beings but in a very mechanist and virtual sense and so what kind of ethics and morality come into play when we say something like that i don't know
1: okay well first of all you said that they need to share a mind Mm -hmm. Right. So, what distinguishes a mind from any set of silicone and syntax? That's, you know, little
0: else. But that's just like a linguistic argument.
1: Well, I was about to reply back to something about her three statements of what merits sentience, and should we treat AI or any sort of robot that demonstrates anything close to human uh, qualities, an ethic, you know, should we uh, baptize them with a a proper name in some sense, can we, you know, and and that that goes to my response uh, of, you know, a mind, a spirit, um, and being, and this thing, this thing being the same thing. Uh, So you know, the question is really if robots are beings, do they have an existential, uh, presence are they a verb you know um so and the question is you know to what extent does technology create being it's just as nature does, and should we extend our ethic to robots? Um,
0: but that's kind of like essentially saying, oh, what is the essence of what is the essence of mind or what is the essence of existence? like you know like that's hardcore reductionism, I don't know. I feel like when we talk about r- these mechanist entities and whether they have any sort of, you know, sentience, if we already possess the knowledge that they are sentient, like, like I would be able to distinguish between, like, effective AI with, like, a normal human being, like, you know?
1: You think you'd, you'd always allow the robot never to pass the Turing test? Well, I don't, I don't think it's redu- reductionistic to extend the ethic to robots in any way. Like, mm-hmm. It's just the perspective that we're trying to either, either stay in or justify in some way is humanism. You know, mm-hmm. we still believe in the predilection of, of humans to, to reign, you know, and we sort of hold that epistemic bias all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's equally as reductionistic just because we already have that perspective in mind. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we have to look at what what we consider nature to be, and what if nature is superordinate to technology, and technology is actually this better approximation to God because it's simply more complex. Um, That would mean that we have to be that which robots and AI use to bootstrap off into a new dimension of, of complexity uh, to emerge, necessarily, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, you know, I think the likelihood that we are extinct because of the purpose being that technology reigns mm-hmm. is, is very high. I don't think we should be, you know, another species that disappears from the earth, but um, it would I think it would follow that uh, teleological or that uh purpose driven path um, if, if not you know it would make little sense that technology comes from us you know and and you know the another argument for why anthropocentrism makes sense is because we have somehow reached that an apex of consciousness in the universe um, so the question is how much should we respect that you know and is it compatible with new technology?
0: True, true. Um, Like, I don't know, I just feel like whenever we start to think about these things, I feel like it's always highly, highly optimistic to even start to think about any kind of ethical code or moral instinct towards these kind of questions because we don't even have a working ai like
1: well you didn't reply to my question earlier have you seen um, your robot buddy getting bludgeoned and
0: but yeah that's what i said it's like virtual reality though it's like yeah it's like just if i know that it's you know it doesn't have any sort of sentience that it's unreal if i just know it then i'm always going to be empirical about it and like being able to distinguish it you know so if i if i know it then it doesn't make any you know it doesn't make make any sense to yeah so this isn't
1: a question of ethics for you though because if you want it to be ethics the question is simply are robots also beings are they also entities like animals or or us um you know, to what extent are they another the uh, Heideggerian sense. And, and I don't know, I don't know if they deserve, you know, to be extended into that, unless, you know, you measure it by taking a non anthropocentric model and seeing that whatever chains of complexity, you know, this, this being in the world can attain uh, is actually the, the measure to follow. Um, so, you know, the the question is, do robots have any existential value?
0: At this point, no, I don't think so. And so that's why I, 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 I see, no, I, I, I don't, don't see any point in, you know, like discussing these issues because do the autocorrect even that doesn't even work well. You know, that's the kind of shitty AI we have right now. And people keep on... You know, just like thinking about Bostrom's ASI, like, dude, that's way too far. Like, we have to get to some sort of a AGI, like a working general reasoning, you know, just being able to replicate the human general reasoning component. We need that kind of AI first to even, you know, think about that kind of stuff because it's far ahead.
1: Track pathing robots, like those enhanced robotics that can somehow run pretty decently and and take notes of navigation of their environment.
0: I don't know. I think it's all development right now. So if it's developing, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at the moment because it's all trial and error, you know, they succeed at certain experiments. They don't.
1: Another question that you might be asking is to what extent can I extend my love onto robots? Can I extend to them my absolute selfless love? And if the question is a no, perhaps, you know, love is being channeled, you know, in a a refraction of of absolute love as it should be. So I'm very willing to extend ethics onto robots insofar so far as, you know, my morality is accompanied by it. So, like, the question about morality can't be the same about ethics. It just depends on your perspective.
0: Yeah, I think it's your individualistic nature versus your, you know, the face that you put on for the collective society, I guess.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if it's the other in the, you know, cultural sense necessarily. Maybe at at a low extent of culture, yes is that you need some sort of ethical uh, pretext, which is existential, in order to interact and uh, deliver, you know, the most authentic information in relation to its context. Um, this would be like a Levinasian saying, in which you, you know you need to have this this proto intentionality, which is ethical uh, in nature, and how is that extended it's based on, on a face-to-face as he says so um, the, I think I think obviously the extension is to the other but I don't think that it's uh, limited to a cultural um, you know literally face-to-face maybe interacting and, and creating information uh, is enough um, I don't know wasn't the movie Her, uh, an AI?
0: Yeah, yeah. That was one of the movies where you get to see these rare glimpses. You know, it's kind of like the HAL 9000 moment where you get to see, oh, you can actually start to develop feelings for a robot, you know? Like, a. a, a an entity without sentience so that's very notice. interesting yeah. yeah that's that's extremely interesting what is okay so what is Prometheanism what is well, Prometheus like what, what is this thing so
1: Prometheus Prometheus is the brother of Epimetheus and so uh, this means to think in Greek and uh, Epi uh, the brother of Pr- Prometheus is afterthought and Prometheus is, of course, before thought. So, the reason why Prometheus is before thought uh, is unknown to me. I'm not a scholar of, of ancient Greek myth. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the story goes something like Prometheus stealing fire for humans, giving it to them. Um, and. Uh, Having Zeus getting angry at him and punishing him to get eaten uh, on a daily basis by a, a falcon or something like that, or a vulture, um, or an eagle actually. So he he was it was actually his liver uh, that was getting eaten every single day Jesus on a daily Christ. basis. Yeah, it's it's a much more radical uh, Sisyphus. <laughs> <laughs> Because you get, you know, your your body uh, cures during the night apparently, and then and then you you have the eagle, going at your liver once more. So uh, that's the story of of Prometheus. He's a hero for humanity because he gives us the capability of fire. Um, And so the way that Prometheus is used today uh, is in several contexts in relation to technology. Quite, you know well uh, tied together, Um, and that uh, the Promethean technology should have the forethought of how uh, technology is created. So this this goes to the point of having ethical, open discussions on what the ethics of AI, or ethical committees to discuss, you know, ethical, um, toned, Uh, discussions uh, in relation to AI and, and, you know, that being a discourse in society which is not, you know, necessarily at the top of of the mind of all technological creators which might be hindering society as a whole just by creating certain types of technology. So, a Promethean technology is sort of like an ethical technology in some sense. Uh, and Prometheanism as a whole is sort of to reduce philosophy to that, Um, if we're looking at it from the point of uh, Jason Reza-Drojani, he he believes in in joining epistemology, ontology and ethics together into one branch of philosophy, one unified branch, and that that should be what's taught, if anything, you know, this sort of undifferentiated uh, philosophical, um, so yeah, that's, your, that's, that's what Prometheus and Prometheism is.
0: Yeah, because I've been seeing it trending in the current philosophical traditions. And so I keep getting, you know, like, why are they referencing Prometheus here? But I feel like it also has political connotations, does it? Because so. of the ethical like component of it i don't know
1: yeah i mean i I, bet yes but there must be you know connections yeah because that's that's
0: the kind of thing that i see a lot um whenever prometheanism is name dropped in any kind of context like the political aspect of it is something that i see a lot But again, the theory of perception, like I have just sketched out different aspects of the theory of perception, because I would explore the hallucinatory parts of it and and sort of the the ego aspect or the ego element of the entire broader context of it. So, um, I don't know, do you have a working theory of perception?
1: Yeah, I think I alluded to it. Is it earlier. is it
0: because of Ponti or like some other?
1: Ponti has influenced me in how proprioception or kinesthetic sensation is the most uh, telling of all perceptions within the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the body is the first thing in, in phenomenology, according to Ponti. Uh, and uh, and so the body through um, through let's call it you know like uh, sensuous entanglements uh, through or sensible entanglements through your perception and whatever modes are not strictly uh, paid attention to. Uh, are are sort of uh, in, a, in a proto-experiential realm, and that threads through experience and threads back through your body, and uh, and so that would be the, a phenomenological standpoint of of body um, that the body is primal and and is is what, what it is. it's it's at the center point of all possible existential contexts, including mm-hmm. intersubjectivity um, ontology being in general and in particular so yeah that would be you know an embodied I think your perception is necessary to some extent nails it.
0: yeah because I was discussing this whole aspect of your eyes I think we've already talked about it on the podcast so I don't want to repeat it at this point
1: yeah but something similar in eye and spirit he says Uh, there are points of optimization, there are articulation points, as he calls them. Mm -hmm. And so these optimal points are determined by the positioning of the body in order to reach whatever the optimal detailed understanding of the phenomenological object that hand uh, represents. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, that's where I was coming from about the whole aesthetic eye appreciation thing before um but moving on um what do you think about the whole cryptocurrency thing
1: so i mean it's an exciting topic i have only put my fingers in the water unfortunately i have rarely done anything. um but one of the most interesting points is how there is a tending towards making Bitcoin the most stable currency possible, right? The, the, the most you know stable uh, sort of bank, you know, regardless if it's not bounded by by any laws, which is the case of gold. So it, mm-hmm. if the the value of gold is that it has these physical laws attached to it, then what happens to a bitcoin that is? Passed on to being the equivalent of of this sort of capital of gold, which is what people have in mind, right? That blockchain will somehow become the new gold. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That not necessarily that wouldn't make much sense. So, blockchain is this great thing that decentralizes, uh, and in general, you know, decentralizes power and and how individuals relate to money as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But perhaps it's it's too decentralized to make it anything valuable at all in the future so uh, Eric Weinstein says that a cryptocurrency without a blockchain will be the future Um, so in general cryptocurrencies without blockchains will will simply you know become um, more uh, dependable currencies and you know they don't have this blockchain element on it. so i don't know how the hell that's going to work but you know blockchain or a currency without a blockchain how how does that come to me
0: yeah no the future looks quite fucking nuts at this point uh, like just like the things that have been going on and the technology that has been coming out like we i feel like we're heading towards some sort of weird utopia but but we just you know you know like not really utopia it's just like in terms of legalization in terms of freedom there's gonna be a lot a lot of freedom Th- that's what i see like at, at least when i like try to conceptualize yeah, has
1: no bounds apart from itself.
0: yeah and that's yeah i mean i mean wh- what do you think because I feel like the future with this whole virtual reality thing at this point is that we're way too immersed in it and and just because of also like this whole COVID thing we have just been you know just been using our technology way too much and at one point that's probably all we're gonna be immersed into and so what does that make us you know like human, some sort of humanoid, that's, that's cyborg.
1: Fine. That's fine, because you know they're robust. No, no. Being in contact and then
0: we with, might also have you know neuralink or whatever.
1: Being in contact with the virtual is is not dehumanizing directly. No, my worry is if neuralink comes out and manages to super energize everyone's brain capacity and and. Uh, and general, yeah, if you maximize your brain capacity, your, your mind is also maximizing and thus your freedom in some sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, my worry is if we become cyborgs by super energizing ourselves and, and and catalyzing ourselves into like super humanness and like th- those sort of cyborg, uh, those the, the sort of those, uh, the cyborgs literally would be the new race, mm-hmm. right? In some sense, race is a, an extension yeah. of the of the usage, but what I mean is a new, a new uh, social cultural class. This would happen automatically just by people uh, adopting Neuralink and and becoming the superhumans that I'm intuiting that it could happen. That's a much bigger worry than whether an individual is sucked into virtual landscapes. You know that if anything, is is. Benign, you know, it's quite innocuous uh, within the, the range of possibilities of, of what actual cyborghood could imply, which is, you know, businessmen that are unethical, you know, fucking walking around with, with extreme free wills. They can do anything. You know, how many, how many fucking deals can a Wall Street guy that has neuralink implanted into his brain do? That's worrying. Oh yeah, and that's crazy. It's great for the yeah. economy, but it's worrying because maybe we're, we can overexplode capitalism much more easily <laughs> than we expected. You know, what if the, mm-hmm. this thing that we're tending towards, which is a species of utopia, mm-hmm. is simply you know, the destruction of, of money and, and everything, you know, what, what will happen? I think that, you know, the, 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 it could happen that the point of accelerationism and the moment in, will, in which uh, capitalism could, you know, or will, destroy itself, will be at a at a uh, hyper technological phase of humanity. really.
0: True. Let's say we reach the super intelligence level of what Bostrom conceptualizes as super intelligence. What these agents have some sort of Kantian categorical imperative?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, technically, yeah. Kant has written these things for us to expunge on now and, and put it into, into the AI. I you know, think that the, the computation project is tied with Kant in some way or another. So, you know, um, I, I don't know if they will have them, per se, but um, the cat is going to be helpful for that, you know. Um, to me, the worry is, is sociological the technological. Like, um, there might be AIs that are simply, you know, psychedelicized. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we might want to experiment with that. Um, Perhaps, you know, experimenting with AIs is a, is a way of uh, not experimenting with humans. That, that would be an interesting idea kind of um, to explore. Um, but, you yeah, know, I don't know about the, the count thing exactly. I think mm-hmm. so. I think that count can help. Um, but I don't know.
0: So what do you think... Like. W- when we talk about the concept of soul or spirit, what do you think these philosophers mean? Do they, are they in, indicating this whole concept towards the idea of mind or cognition or awareness, or is it some other multi constitutive element? W- w- what is this thing?
1: Okay. well it it would we ha we have to assume that the soul and the spirit that they exist have to be somehow interwe interwoven together. Um usually anyone who assumes that the soul and the spirit exist consider them interlinked in some way. So I mean I think that the soul is simply your existential um, Repercussion in the world um, Or resonance throughout the world that can somehow mediate between the absolute uh, Aspect of reality and whatever is going on which is simply, you know, can your Transcendental ego transcend transcend to virtuality and apprehend its proto-intentional um, elements to come back and, and construct, in an embodied fashion, a phenomenological uh, experience? It's the same question, really. Um, so the question, the, the matter between mind and soul is simply that mind is cognition in its uh, conscious and debatable perspective. And soul is this sort of, uh, the dynamic of the psyche, right? Rather, mm-hmm. it's, it's, instead of the dynamic of cognition, it's the dynamic of the psyche.
0: So, what do you think is the essence of sentience?
1: I think that the the word makes no sense because it's it's already biased within being uh, discussions. Like, if you assume that sentience exists, then humans mm-hmm. and animals our entities and can, can feel. And uh, that might as well be, be extended onto ecology and plants uh, and all of that. So um, let's assume that life is sentience. Does a robot have life, you know? Um, or, or is it emulating sentience? Is a simulacrum simply not a simulacrum and uh, exactly the same thing? So, you know, it really depends on, on that, I think. Uh, um, the question is if you can take a standpoint backwards and not even assume that you know sentience and life deserve anything other than, than anything else you know and that rocks and stones become to be imbued with spirit itself And so within that, that jumping off point, um, only then can you extend your your paradigms to include absolutely everything from love and so automatically It just ricochets back into you loving robots and having the same ethic towards them than anything else that that would be my You know perhaps relativistic standpoint I'm um, moral relativism and, and also I'm joining that with with beings um, which is, um, beings is a hard phenomenological task to deal with because you know, what, what tends to happen is that first of all there's an anthropocentric layer to it and then you extend it onto a, a sort of zoo, zo um, boundary which is simply paying too much attention to animals have anything special, uh, having anything special within the, within a discussion of consciousness. Um they don't necessarily, you know, are more conscious than a stone. That's what I'm trying to get to here, fundamentally. Do
0: you think that extraterrestrials exist?
1: Well, you know, there's the Fermi's paradox which says that most likely they do. Like there's just so much possibilities that, that they do, so you might as well. But uh, I see no value in chasing the possibility of it. There are many more interesting things to discuss.
0: Okay, so then what about alternate realities and multiple dimension theories and stuff like that?
1: Within physics, I think that it also tells us little of the universe. This has been stipulated by many theosophical thinkers. Um, So, you know, it it ranges more within sci fi than anything, but that's not. I think for parapsychology or mystical schools which uh, want to investigate it. uh, Or, you know, maybe even build something around it and and have it as a good enough metaphor. Recognizing that it is. Um,
0: Yeah, because it's very much comparable to um, what you can call these spiritual planes. Because it's like ascending in consciousness and then you're just traveling these dimensions and so if this is 3d then what's 4d then what's 5d you know mm-hmm. and and if this is the normal conscious state then what is yeah, the no, but it, it next level a lot
1: to assume uh, but yes i'm like yes uh, the, the thing is <laughs> you know uh, the layer that separates this reality this phenomenological reality with all of its colors and edges and, and, uh, and textures you know once you lift not, you know, just peel it off reality. <laughs> and then yeah. you see the void, the blackness, and, and mm-hmm. just the no thing and the unknown, and those invisible topographies mm-hmm. what the hell are they you know, they are shadowed by our by our non-existence in them so, you know, it's a hard claim to make and say okay, when I eliminate this layer of reality you know, is it true that I'm somehow capable of, of um, accessing it at all times right now.
0: The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Please note, the new number is... Like, when I, when I say do extra access, right? It's as if, if this is the reality as we know and, and like, we are the only like we know somewhat the nature of sentience and and we know what consciousness is to a certain extent and what is the unconscious try imagining an alternate universe with alternate species and just that seems very complex because that makes the entire nature of this entire you know universe let's say as a totality just extremely complex then it makes no sense i don't know
1: yeah, if you believe in infinity and all these things, having any existential validity, and that's what infinity entails. And infinity is the ultimate paradox in some way. So I agree. Like this could be that could be it, you know. Like I, I like to think about it as in your imagination being a display for every possible world. Why not?
0: What do you think about the synchronicity? The Jungian synchronicity or you know, quantum entanglement? Hmm.
1: Well I think the Jungian synchronicity has actually quite little to offer. Actually. Why? Because it's misinterpreted.
0: Why 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 so? like do you mean in relation to quantum oh a synchronous events yes, so what do you so make of it's, it
1: it's a matter of being mm-hmm. attenuated to patterns of your own psyche i think more
0: i That's mean it. i guess so yeah. i don't know I mean, what do you make out of these synchronous events that happen on this uh, the, daily basis?
1: They're of value to your your psyche, you know, if you're paying attention to them. That, that just highlights elements of your psyche. And that's hmm. the only thing they mean.
0: Do you think the super ego is useless?
1: Yeah, because some sense, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's a Freudian mistake, honestly. Like, why do we need another agent
1: no, no no it might be there i'm not saying that it isn't there i'm saying that if it is there we should dispense with the super ego
0: yeah because i feel like the ego already does the work of the super ego so why the need for super ego
1: because the super ego are the sides of your ego that are sort of policing of your ego
0: then we should have a super super ego you know like it's an endless argument in that sense
1: I mean, it's like with without a. I mean, you're you're discussing what conscious, what the unconscious is.
0: No, I'm discussing whether why the need for the superego.
1: Because if not, you wouldn't have it unconscious in the first place.
0: But how do you make that relation in the first place?
1: Because. But the superego is your censorship meter in which the very line between the conscious and the unconscious is determined as. Um, Yeah, I'm not so sure if the ego is above the water at all. You know?
0: It could be a subconscious element, honestly. Because it's like, it's like this layer right which is kind of guarding your personality it
1: depends on on what stage of the spiral dynamics you're in in some sense
0: what do you think about the integral theory and all of that stuff
1: is is a very good magpie of ideas
0: by the way just by the way for people listening there's a amazing room happening at 3 a.m with Lex Friedman and Sam Harris and a bunch of people. uh, And it's about integral theory. So if anyone's interested in it, I think it's probably in five hours or so. I mean, from the time that I'm in. So yeah. But yeah, what do you think about the integral theory and the whole spiral dynamics concept and everything? So,
1: yeah, I mean, Integral theory is very useful because it's encyclopedic but you know when I read it I, I'm doubtful of whether it's anything more than an encyclopedia and simply a very good concept rather than a dedicated um, original systematic philosophy you know it is systematic of course and the integral theory is dependent on the quadrants. And joining the subject, the object, the uh, inter-subjective and the interobjective into one whole, uh, one whole, you know, one whole on, as he comes to use a uh, Wilbur, the concept of whole on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I heard like,
0: that the other day.
1: Yeah, it's simply realizing that everything is within a. Reflection of itself in a fractal way. You know, that there's infinite sameness and that everything is a sort of mirror image of it. Um, and that, you know, there are millions of, of mirror images.
0: Um, so there's basically philosophical and psychological aspects to it?
1: Yeah, he joins everything together. Mm, interesting. It's, it's, it's an important tool to have. Um, I just don't know how much of an important thinker Ken Wilber is apart from. A great scholar you know there's this that distinction to make um, but yeah spiral dynamics might be more even more brilliant than Ken uh, than Wilber. Um, yeah that, you know spiral dynamics are both a psychological and a sociological or, or an anthropological spectrum uh, or a gradient along the development of of humans as a whole and you know it's related to your ego integration to some extent and it goes by color and so maybe what's most interesting is in imagining what the hell the last stage which is the choral stage implies which is like a I, I I think it's uh, trans revenge you know, if we're applying it Nietzschean mm-hmm. critique here. Um, but yeah, that's that's always an, an interesting discussion to have, you know. Um,
0: True. So, like I've been getting in into a lot of these rooms about revolutionizing education and like what the future of education looks like, and I know that you're very interested in somehow revolutionizing how the philosophical aspect of the whole education sector looks like so like what are you planning like what's the plan just to like open a school
1: yeah i mean i'd start with remodeling our concept of liberal arts because i think there's a thirst for for better humanities around the world and and you know what you see nowadays is business schools opening up everywhere and being the best schools out of each respective country because, you know, they're they're just a very marketable um, path to take, you know, as, in, as, in that, as a career. Um, but the same thing isn't done for the humanities and for becoming professors and, and educators. There's no, no real um, pop cultural uh, attenuation to that at all. Um So yeah, I think we have to remodel that in some way and make education a little bit more student uh, friendly in, in the sense of having student driven mainly mm-hmm. and maybe students in, in the sense that um, you know courses are are chosen entirely by the students you know a little bit of entire independent study. I think they'll that'll change things a lot and um, that would be a good place to start with, you know, that that he put me on the spot. Um, but, you know, within the liberal arts, uh, originally, you had several branches, and um, the branch uh, that, that you had to, to do, which was called the Trivium, which you sort of had to complete in order to um, choose and specialize in, in the sciences or I mean, the humanities. It, 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 it contained logic, grammar, and rhetoric. You know, these were things you had to master in order to master whatever discipline you wanted to be a disciple of. Um, So, yeah, that's, you know, I think that would be a good place to start with, too. To have everyone study logic, grammar, and rhetoric. That would be revolutionary. And also being authentic to the original liberal arts. Which were as the started in medieval Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about the whole peer review thing, which is going on in academia? Well, Everyone's crying about it.
1: I see so many bad articles everywhere, um, mm-hmm. especially in psychology, that are peer reviewed. There are so many bad international journals everywhere. It's quite amazing how just by them finding a way to get, you know, intra academics peer reviewing each other some you know that they somehow achieve that because it's the market They still manage to do such a bad job of writing. Uh, do you
0: think monetizing it could help? That's a very tricky
1: question I I, I don't think we should do that no because That's just me speaking obviously. That's just whatever ego I've decided to portray in, in Academia which is as much of an anarchy as possible mm-hmm so uh, we have to remove all paywalls uh even patreon i'm I'm very very iffy about Um, why because mm, you're producing knowledge which should be out there for anyone to consume
0: but i feel like more creators are just using patreon now just to get donations of money and they're not really posting anything yeah there's some creators who are posting some exclusive content or whatever but Patreon is more like donation sort of website at this point. For, for at least, you know, the larger creators on the platform, I feel like it's just uh, button to support.
1: I don't know. It's just that it's according to my ethics of, uh, you know, knowledge being fully decentralized and accessible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply.
0: What do you think about philosophy on Twitter? Like you've been exploring Twitter for some time, yeah, and what I've do you think about the community?
1: It, I've gotten bored of it, unfortunately, but there are some very good tweeters out there, um, so it's yeah, deserves at least a, an acknowledgement. Um, yeah, uh, the communities are also remarkably friendly, mm-hmm. so it's it's a good uh, yeah, it's a good platform. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's real philosophy taking place, but depending on your on your standpoint, you're gonna have more or less difficulty finding the others. You know, mm-hmm. a, you know it, it's a tribal system. You know, which is good or bad. You know the fact that your tweets get um, ratioed out depending on whatever preferences you have. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know that. that It's a way of limiting the the centrality of the net, right? Um, And and it produces tribes, so, you know, is that a good thing, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. You know, just because something is tribalistic, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Because we are always in tribal clusters.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think about, like, the whole tribe concept on Twitter, where you can just... That's great. You know, just discuss your Mm -hmm. philosophical ideas. And it's a thread and it's forever there and you can just mark it That's right. and wrong. then there's also this list feature i don't know if you've tried yeah, it yeah. It's, it's pretty good it's pretty good what do you think about the whole social media aspect or like this extension to your thought process this virtual extension and networking you know sort of thing
1: yeah it's a prosthetic to your mind I think yeah. it's only dangerous. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I'm very blue you know. I'm very much blue-dite.
0: I feel like it's hyper connectivity. I think that's where we all are headed. Right. Just to become one. You know. The like hive
1: mind.
0: Yeah, just hyper-telepathic. Just, everything is just one. And that's the end of it. That's something that I learned in one of my recent psychedelic explorations that everything is just basically one. Like it's all static, like in that term, in just like every ontological sense. It's mm-hmm. so weird. Maybe it is. Maybe that's the you know, dilemma or whatever that people I mean, just the, question keep...
1: is the human body will still be
0: here. Well I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the, the, th- like the way the whole civilization has just been hyper relaxed and we're just like heading towards a situation where we we'll just need to just make commands from our brain and we don't need to do anything else. And what happens in that kind of situation, you know, that's hyper connected, that's literally just being a mental being the body is there but just for very functional essential stuff for nothing else it's just kind of crazy i don't
1: know yeah that's the idea of Neuralink having enabling enabling power over your free will
0: yeah the whole Neuralink thing is kind of crazy honestly like i don't think it's gonna come out this soon though like i i don't think it's gonna come out in four years three years or whatever Mm. they're saying like that's crazy. like.
1: Yeah, it's going to be hard to get to telepathic levels and, and you know, and, and not meeting language ever. That would be crazy. You know, if Clubhouse is already mad, mm-hmm. and I'm just interacting with people, just floating around and, and using your mind, mm-hmm. that would be crazy.
0: No, Clubhouse is very really revolutionary. Like, I see a lot of potential in this app. And I actually do like investing my time in it. Like, I don't have time most of the times in the afternoon because I'm just getting these calls and stuff. And, like, just I have to text people, email people, and, like, shit like that. But um, I feel like the groups get really good at night because I feel like that's, like, the Silicon Valley time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's just hyper interesting. There's, like, amazing people talking. Do you have to get on this app? Like I don't know yeah. like what what you're doing. I don't with have it. an iPhone, I don't have that
1: the privilege, so uh, I'll But you were to you were out.
0: you were trying to figure out some other shitty way, right? No, it's not shady
1: <laughs> at all. But I am I am doing some uh some stuff. Over, Yeah, that's over shady. To, to Now get how it is that not shady? That's shady. No, it's it's just a friend bringing an iPhone. Um, yeah, like from the, the other side borders. of the border, dude? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah okay.
1: Um, mm-hmm. So, we'll see. We'll see if that works out. The only reason it's on the other side of the border is because the person is from there.
0: Yeah,
1: true, yeah. true. Yeah, so it's not shady at all. Um, You'll yeah. we'll see, there's also a Python way to do it on, on your MacBook Pro. High for the
0: spirit, but sure, <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah, look, I I wish that you know iOS was compatible with any Mac uh, OS. Like it makes no no sense that they're unified. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because imagine having Clubhouse already on your computer. It would make a lot of sense even to content creators that can can record stuff directly on a computer. Um, yeah, true. So
0: I mean, I think they're opening up the app soon. i don't know when they're doing it but it's supposed to be quote unquote soon i don't know what that means so you might just be able to access because i've invited you right so i think you should be able to join it whenever it launches on android whatever but i don't know dude i think the whole android thing is probably gonna be A corruption point for Clubhouse. Yeah, I I like it the way it is right now, but I feel like when that happens, it's just uh, I don't know, I don't know. Hmm. What do you think about these kind of social media, so this audio interactive?
1: As social media,s or or whether. No, if if
0: they're the next big thing. Yeah,
1: most likely. I don't know Uh, if if you know it will be as. It'll be a competitor to, uh, Twitter and session in the long run, um, probably. You know, it depends. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how 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 much of a of a social changer it is within the the individual. You know, like, can people become addicted to this? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that I think that'll that'll determine a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I still haven't really experimented with the app.
0: Um, What are your plans with the fan on, dude? What's going on? Like, the fuck, dude? Like, what what is up? Like, is everything okay in life? Like, all good?
1: Yeah. Okay. But I haven't been placing too much effort on my own podcasts at
0: all. Yeah, like, you have to try. And so if if you can't try, you can't do shit, you know, it's literally that simple. I
1: mean, I have posted four episodes. Uh,
0: wow, dude. And I mean, literally story at the same time.
1: The, yeah, I know, I know. What the I fuck, think, dude? because you're an animal, you know.
0: No, but like still, like, you yeah, just have to pretty, be constant. like. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a varied uh, genre. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you no, know, it has no direction in content or the discipline that I put behind.
0: Like you have so much potential, but you just don't act on it, and it's just like it's like a waste of time. I do, I do. I try to on my own.
1: You know, I I do. Like just become an animal
0: on Twitter, like go crazy.
1: I've already gotten bored of Twitter after. Yeah, but
0: that's the thing. Like you have to keep trying. Like you can't just be like, oh fuck this shit. You know, like it's been a month now. Like I get it, whatever, not cool. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep trying. Like you can't just give up. Exactly.
1: Like I don't know. Yeah, I mean Yeah, I'm waiting for Clubhouse, I guess, to give another chance to my public intellectual career.
0: I feel like by the time it's public, there's going to be way too many people who are intellectuals already or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I it's 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 a mixed feeling that I have about this app getting public. Uh-huh. Like there's so much more potential right now. For people to just, like, open their clubs and, like, just, like, so when it becomes public, if it's, like, subscription only, then you get to already have, like, an audience to build upon the people that join next. So, I don't know. I feel like you're going to be at the disadvantage to join late. That's why I've been telling you to fucking join this app since day one. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: I see potential, you know. Yeah,
1: I'll try to figure out the Python thing, maybe.
0: Yeah, the, the Python thing might be key. Okay. That's why I'm saying it's shady.
1: Do you want to rehash any mm. past topics that we covered before I go?
0: <sighs> I don't know, I don't know. I can't think, I can't process.
1: Well, you, you said something about the soul and the spirit and another element, right? It's the
0: practical.
1: brain, the mechanics, what? Yeah, well, yeah, no, the, the mechanicity of machines you
0: know but in the sense of do machines have souls um, right no should we be empathetic towards
1: yeah robots yeah and do they have souls
0: i don't say no dude what the fuck.
1: okay
0: <laughs> that's the thing you know like that's the way you get when you think about things in an in empirical in an empirical sense well, like given, you
1: know from a detached from logical
0: standpoint yeah I don't know that was the time mm. there